Well, good morning, Kenwood Church. Uh, how are we doing this morning? We're doing well? Awesome. You look amazing. Uh, so, so as Pat was saying, uh, in case you are confused by the abundance of popcorn and soft drink in church this morning, we are in the third and final week of our movie series. As together, we've been using popular movies and stories in our culture to, to share biblical truths and to teach the gospel. <clears throat> and, and look, because we are in the middle of this movie series, I've obviously been thinking a lot about movies over the last couple of weeks. And I do promise any movies I've been watching have 100% been sermon preparation, so it's okay. But um, I've been thinking a lot about movies. And in particular, how this whole idea of a movie series could work at all. Because on the face of it, it doesn't really seem like it should, right? That there's no reason you should be able to take a movie like Frozen or a Top Gun, which, you know, sorry to burst your bubble, it's, they're not Christian movies, they're, they're not directed by Christian directors, there's no explicit Christian message behind them, and, and take these movies and use them to preach the gospel. And yet, for the last two weeks, that's exactly what we've been able to do. We've been able to take these movies and use them to share truths that, that are firmly grounded in Scripture. And, and as I was thinking it through this week, the, the conclusion I came to was this that at the end of the day, there is actually only one true story. That that human history is marked by one overarching narrative, and it is the gospel. It is the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. The good news that Jesus is on a rescue mission for you. And if that is true, right? if that is the true and fundamental story that all of human history is playing out, and then what that means is every other story we share, every other narrative we have as a culture, it must somehow reflect the gospel. That any truth these stories hold, any, any beauty we find in these stories, any value or moral that is hidden within them, it must somehow be there because it reflects an aspect of the gospel. And so this morning, that's all I really want to do to you, do for you. I, I, want, I want to grab this movie, Saving Private Ryan, and I want to unearth the parts of it that reflect the gospel. That my goal for each and every one of you here today is that each and every one of you would hear the gospel, you would be exposed to the gospel, and importantly, you'd have a chance to respond to the gospel. And so look, if you are here for the first time and you know, Maybe you're still exploring this whole idea of Christianity or you're still discovering what faith looks like for you. Then awesome, this is going to be an amazing message for you. Because the gospel is the main thing. It is the core and fundamental truth of everything we believe as Christians. And so if you've got other doubts, if you've got other questions about how Christianity works, then that's awesome. I would love to sit down and walk through those with you after the message. But if I could just ask that, you sort of put those to the side for the next 30 minutes. Because if the gospel is true, if Jesus has come on a rescue mission for you, if that is a fact of nature, then all of your other questions or doubts, they are secondary to that fact. And look, if you're here this morning and you, know, you do call yourself a Christian, that you follow after Jesus, then I would just ask, please don't switch off. Because this message is just as much for you. That, that as Christians, we never graduate past the gospel. 
It's not like the gospel is like the ABCs of Christianity and we sort of move on to deeper truths. No, uh, the gospel is the entire alphabet. It, it is A through to Z. It's not the shallow end of the swing pool. It is the entire pool itself. And so if that is you this morning, then please let this message serve to you as a reminder of what you have been saved from and what you have been saved to. And finally, if you are here this morning because someone told you there'd be a free movie and a free popcorn, uh, I, I apologize. You're only going to get about 10 minutes of the movie this morning. Uh, the rest is all going to be me, but, but you're here now, so you can't leave. Uh, <laughs> no, but, but stick around. It, it will be good. I, I promise it will be worth your time. Uh, all right, with all that said, let's take a look at our first clip this morning. All right, so as I said, this morning we are looking at the movie Saving Private Ryan. And um, look, I know it's a little bit of an older movie. I'm capturing a slightly different demographic to uh, Frozen from last week. But uh, in, in fact, to age myself a little bit, this movie was released when I was just under two years old. So I'll, I'll let you do the maths on that one. Uh, but, but who's actually seen the movie this morning? Who, who's seen it? All right, that's, that's a fair few of you. Uh, for the rest of you, I would say spoilers, but as I said, movie's like 20 plus years old, so it's all fair game. <laughs> all right, so, so to set the context a little bit, uh, we're in the middle of World War II. And news has just reached back to the home front that uh, there, there are these three brothers that have tragically all been killed in the line of duty. And, and what's more, it's discovered there's actually this fourth brother, Private James Francis Ryan. And he's still alive. He, he is still out there somewhere on the front line fighting for his country. And so the question is raised, and it's really the, the core question of this entire movie. It's, well, what will we do for this last son? How far are we willing to go for just one man? What sacrifice are we willing to lay down? What price are we willing to pay in order to ensure that he can actually come home safely? What will we do to save Private Ryan? And so that, that question is asked, and it's brought up through the chain of command until it reaches the highest point of authority in the U.S. Army, uh, the chief of staff of the U.S. Army. And the general stops. He processes the question. He thinks about it. And the answer he has, how far are we willing to go to save one man? He says, we are willing to do anything and everything. That if Ryan is still alive, if he is still out there, then we are willing to throw whatever resources are needed. We are willing to commit whatever uh, equipment, whatever manpower is required in order to ensure that this mission can be a success, that Ryan can come home. And, and look, to give you the point of the entire message right at the front, in the same way that this order is given to, to launch this rescue mission to save Ryan, in the same way that uh, these men fight across France to, to reach Ryan, to, to bring him back home, God is on a rescue mission for you. And no, that's not me just pulling stuff from the movie and, and applying it to Christianity. This is straight from Scripture. That in the book of Ezekiel, it says, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep, and I will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. 
that God is seeking you out. That the story of the gospel, it doesn't start with me and you. It doesn't start with our brokenness or our mistakes or or anything to do with humanity at all. No, the story of the gospel begins with a God who is desperately seeking after you. A God who is pursuing you, a God who longs to have a relationship with you. And let me just be clear, it's not because God needs it. It's not because God is somehow deficient or lacking something without a relationship with us. God is fully and finally satisfied in and of himself. God is never sitting all by himself in heaven like lonely and afraid and just twiddling his thumbs waiting for us. God is fully okay without us. And yet, God is like this good, good father. And like any good father, he, he, he longs for his children to know him. He longs for his children to have a relationship with him. And so he seeks us, so he pursues us, so he runs after us. And see, I really like this idea of describing the gospel in terms of a military rescue, because I actually think that that's exactly what it is. See, 2,000 years ago, the commander of God's armies landed on hostile territory. He landed on ground that did not receive him, though he should have come as king and ruler. Well, within years of his coming, genocide was ordered on the surrounding regions in order to kill or capture him. And so he was forced to flee as a fugitive in the night to escape. And from there, he was forced to live in hiding in a rural town for 30 years in order to escape the ire of the ruling authorities. And then when he eventually did start his public mission, the world opposed him in a way it has never opposed anyone else that everyone from the Roman Empire that was subjugating the land at the time, the the corrupt Jewish rulers or the very demonic forces of the world, they all did everything they could to stop him from completing the mission he had come for. And and no, in case you're not sure, I'm not referring to the the plotline of some blockbuster movie. That is the story of Jesus' birth 2,000 years ago. That Jesus' birth 2,000 years ago in a manger, it was the start of the greatest rescue mission ever played out. And can I just say, it was not a silent night. In fact, it was probably equivalent to the storming of Normandy on D-Day. If you jump into the book of Revelation in Revelation 12 and you read through the story of Jesus' birth as portrayed in Revelation, it actually describes this battle in the heavenly realm taking place as Jesus is born that the armies of heaven are battling the armies of the enemy as Jesus is born in Bethlehem, that Jesus is on a rescue mission for us. In fact, Jesus, referring to himself, once said, the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost, that Jesus is on a rescue mission for you. And when I say you this morning, I want you to take that really, really personally. But because it's, in the same way in the movie, they're not seeking after some generic soldier. It's not like a name was drawn out of a hat and that's who they decided to, to go on this rescue mission for. No, it was for a specific and individual person. It was for a specific man, a, a James Francis Ryan of Iowa. And in that same way, God is on a specific and individual rescue mission for you personally, for the person sitting in your seat this morning. 
that A.W. Tozer once said, Jesus Christ came to save you. Knowing your name, knowing all about you, knowing your weight right in this moment, knowing your age, knowing what you do, knowing where you live, what you ate for supper and what you will eat for breakfast, knowing where you will sleep tonight, how much your clothing cost and who your parents were. He knows you as individually as though there were not another person in the entire world. And he died for you as certainly as if you had been the only lost one. He knows the worst about you and is the one who loves you the most. That God is on a very, very personal rescue mission for you. And look... I'm aware of the objection some of you probably have to that idea. That in your head right now, you might be saying something along the lines of, well, Liam, I don't need saving. Liam, I don't need rescue. I'm not lost. Why would Jesus need to come on a rescue mission for me? I don't need that. And look, I understand what you're saying. I understand where that's coming from, that, that you think you're like, well, I'm a pretty good person, right? I mean, sure, I make some mistakes here and there. Sure, I fall short sometimes. There are things in my past that I'd rather people not know about. But for the most part, I'm pretty good. I've got my life together. I don't really need rescue. See, in the movie, Ryan didn't know he needed rescue either. That there are these people fighting across France to get him. There are, there are people laying down their lives in order to get to him, in order to, to bring rescue to him. And he wasn't aware of any of it. He wasn't aware that, that any of this mission was taking place, that, that Ryan didn't know that he needed saving. See, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And a lot of the time, the lost don't even recognize the fact that they need saving. So if the first truth of the gospel is that God is seeking after you, that God is on a rescue mission for you, then the second truth of the gospel is, is we actually all need saving. That we are, each and every one of us, lost. That all we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone each to his own way. That we all need saving. We all need God. See, there is something inside each and every one of us that is desperately broken. Something inside each and every one of us that separates us from the presence of an almighty and all-perfect God. And the way the Bible would describe this thing that separates us, this brokenness inside of us, is sin. And look, that word sin in English, it's actually an archery term. All it actually means is to miss the mark, to fall short of the top. That if I was in an archery competition and I was shooting, aiming for the bullseye, and I missed that bullseye, I missed the, the perfect mark that I was aiming for, then you would say that I have sinned. I have fallen short. I have failed to meet perfection as I was aiming for it. And so for us, sin is just falling short of the perfect requirements of a perfect and holy and righteous God. That God's command to us is be perfect as I am and look, this is just me speaking about myself right now. I don't know where your guys' situation is, but I'm not perfect. <laughs> and there's no way I could make myself perfect. Actually, for a second, let's sort of put to one side the perfect rules of God. 
Can we just all agree that we can't even keep our own commandments to ourselves? Or we can't even keep our own instructions that we tell ourselves? And if you don't believe me, uh, how are your New Year's resolutions going from uh, 10 months into the year? <laughs> no, no, but seriously, are, are there ever these things in your life that you promised yourself you would never do again? Do you ever look at something, eat something, smoke something, go somewhere, hang out with someone, do something that you promised you would never do again? And yet time and time and, and time again, you find yourself back at the same old place doing the same old thing. And so if we can't even keep our own imperfect instructions to ourselves, how in the world can we ever live up to the perfect standards, the perfect requirements of a perfect God? Because you know what God asks of us, right? But let's just go through a couple. Uh, love your enemies as you love yourselves. Anyone able to do that one? Uh, or how about some of the Ten Commandments? Uh, keep the Sabbath day holy. That's, that's a no for me. Um, honor and respect your mother and father. I've, I've been a teenager, so no. Uh, do not murder, okay? Like, we feel like we're pretty good on that one, most of us, yeah? Uh, and then Jesus comes along and says, well, if you've ever hold, held anger in your heart against someone, you have murdered them, and so that kind of rules all of us out there. Uh, do not steal. And again, we feel pretty good on that one, but, you know, it's, it's not stealing, it's borrowing. It's, um, it just says download when I click the link. It's, that's not stealing. Um, or, or lying or, or coveting or, or adultery. And, and again, adultery we feel pretty good on until Jesus says, if you've ever lusted after someone, so you can just move on from that one. But look, it's not possible, right? There's no way we can live up to the perfect standards of a perfect God. And so because God is holy, and because God is righteous, and because God is just, that sin, it actually separates us from God. Because if God were just to ignore the fact that we were sinning, well, that would make him unjust. And if God were just to sweep it under the rug and say, you know, it doesn't matter, all is well, well, that would make him unholy. And if we were to bear the consequences of our sin, well, that would destroy us. And you know what the worst part about all of this is? We can do nothing about it on our own. That there is no way in and of ourselves we can just make ourselves perfect. That the solution to the problem of sin is not just to try harder. We cannot just work it through on our own. We can't just make ourselves better. That deep down inside of us, there is something that is desperately broken. See, the whole reason Jesus came is because we can never do this on our own. That the truth of the matter is, is we are not just bad people that need to do better. We are sinners who need a savior. We are desperately broken people who need someone external to ourselves to do what we could never do on our own. And that is why Jesus came, to seek and save the lost, to, to help us do what we could never do on our own. And so Jesus comes pursuing after us. And in, in the movie, the, the, the squad of elite army rangers, they come in pursuit of Ryan. Until finally, after much effort, until after much battle and much difficulty, that they finally get to him. They finally reach this man they have been fighting across France to get to. 
And let's see what happens when they finally get there. All right, so they finally reach Ryan. That they reach this man that they have been fighting to get to for month upon month upon month upon month. That this man that they have literally laid down their lives to reach. And they get to him and they say, Ryan, you get to come home. Ryan, you have been saved, you have been rescued, you don't have to risk your life on the front line anymore, you get to come home. And Ryan says no. Ryan puts his hand up and says, look, that can't be right. I don't deserve this. I I haven't earned this. Like, I I don't care that that you came to seek and save me. I don't care that that you fought across France to get me. I I don't want the salvation you are bringing me. And look, if, if I'm being honest this morning, do we not all do the same thing? Did we not all turn to God and put our hand up and say, no, God, I don't want this rescue you are bringing me. I don't care that you came to seek and save the lost. I don't want this salvation you are bringing me. And look, for some of us, we've done that in a more explicit way, right? That we do that through open rebellion. That just like when sin entered the world and Adam and Eve had that separation from God, their first response was to flee from the presence of God, that we Flee as fast as we know how from the presence of a holy and just and righteous God. That the way we say no to God is by running into things like sex, drugs, and rock and roll. That we turn to God and say, no, God, I've got this. God, I don't need you. I will do this on my own. I don't want, I will find my salvation in my own satisfaction. And then for a whole bunch of us, we actually say no in a very different way. I think for a lot of us, myself included, we actually say no through religion. That we say by our own works, by our own good deeds, we can sort of cover up our own brokenness and shame. That again, just like Adam and Eve, what we attempt to do is we attempt to sew together our own fig leaves to cover our brokenness. And we say, well, if we can just tick all the religious boxes, if we can go to church every Sunday, if we can pray every day, if we can read our Bible, if we can attend a small group, if we do all the right things, then we can just turn to God and say the exact same thing. God, I don't need you because I've done this on my own. I've got this. And the problem with both of those approaches is neither of them actually works. That no matter how we say no to God, whether it's religion or or rebellion, we still can't save ourselves. That neither rebellion nor religion is enough to cover our sins. That we are both still sinners in need of a savior. And see, the goal of this mission, the goal of this mission, it, it was never just to locate a man and give him some information. That the movie is not called Finding Private Ryan. That they weren't supposed to just get to Ryan and give him information about the fact that he was allowed to come home. That the plan from the start, it was a plan to save Private Ryan. It was a rescue mission. So, So when Ryan says no, when Ryan puts his hand up, they don't abandon him. They don't leave him there and say, okay, well, you've got it on your own. We'll we'll just leave you here and we'll just go back home. No, they say, okay, Ryan. Well, we're going to keep on seeking after you. 
We're going to keep on pursuing you. We're going to keep on fighting for you because, Ryan, we are going to do everything in our strength to bring you back home. We are going to fight for you. We are going to protect you. We are going to lay down our lives for you. See, in much the same way, the gospel is not just informational. It's not just a fact that I can stand up here on a Sunday and tell you and you can just mentally assent to it. The gospel is a rescue mission. That Jesus didn't just come as a good moral teacher. He didn't just come to start a new religion or to teach us about what God is like or, or even to start Christianity. That, that yes, he did all those things, but they were not the primary thing. That the final truth of the gospel is that Jesus came to die for you. See, Jesus lived a perfect life. The life that you and I could never hope of living. A life free from sin, a life free from brokenness. The life we were intended from the start to live and yet are unable to do so on our own. And despite that, one night they arrested him. One night they beat him and they mocked him and they spat in his face. One night they, they took a crown of thorns and they pushed it down on his brow until it pierced into his skull. One night they, they whipped him within an inch of his life and then they made him carry the, the beam of his cross, the, the instrument of his own torture across town where they hung him on a tree, where they nailed him to a cross to die the most painful death the world has ever known. See, Jesus did not just come to teach us how to have a good life. He didn't just come to give us information. Jesus came on a rescue mission for us. Jesus came to die for us. That Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And just as my father knows me and I know the father, so I will sacrifice my life for the sheep. See, Jesus came to die for that the rescue mission of the most high King of kings and Lord of lords involved him humbling himself and dying a sinner's death on the cross that only our brokenness deserved. That, that upon the cross, Jesus took the punishment and the penalty for our sin. That the perfect Lamb of God was slain for the covering of our brokenness. That he took upon himself the penalty and the eternal separation from God that only our sin could have merited. And then on the cross, Jesus defeated the power of darkness and the devil. That when he lifted himself up on nail-pierced hands and feet and said, it is finished, he had robbed death and sin of all the power it has in our life. That Jesus came to die for you. And look, I know there's a lot there. And it's actually, if this is your first time hearing this, it is confusing to understand how Jesus dying on the cross actually brings you salvation, that, that there is a lot of theology in that idea. And look, if you have more questions, I would love to sit down and, and walk through that with you. But at the end of the day, you don't need to understand how the cross brings salvation in order to accept it. That, that a man who is drowning does not need to know how CPR works in order to be rescued. He just needs to accept it. And in much the same way this morning, if you have never given your life to Christ, then you just need to accept the gospel. You have to respond to the gospel. 
In fact, I would go as far this morning by saying the gospel demands a response. Because if that is true, if God is on a rescue mission for you, if we actually need saving, that we aren't just bad people who need to do better, we are sinners who need a saving, and if Jesus died for you, that demands a response. That demands we do something about it. So, so look, we have one last clip, which we'll play in a second, and the band can start coming up during that time. But what I'm going to give everyone an opportunity to do in a moment is to respond to that gospel. That the gospel demands a response. So let's take a look at this last clip. See, in his final breath, the sergeant who has spearheaded this mission to save Ryan, he turns to him and he says, earn this. And what I think he's saying in that moment is, don't waste this, Ryan. Don't throw away the sacrifice that has been laid down for your salvation. Do something about it. And I actually think in a very similar way this morning, Jesus turns to each and every one of us. And the question he is asking is, what will you do in response to the gospel? What will you do in response to what I have done on the cross? What will you do in response to my death for you? See, at the the end of the day, the gospel, it demands a response. It demands that we do something about it. That it's not just a fact, it's not just a piece of information that that we can know in our head. It has to change our lives in a radical way. And and so this morning, I'm going to give everyone a chance to respond to the gospel. And I'm going to do that in, in two sort of different ways. So if you are here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never trusted what Jesus has done on the cross counts for you, And that is the way you respond to the gospel. And I actually want to walk through a bit of what that means in a little bit more detail than we normally do because I think sometimes we lose something in just having it in that moment. See, it is not easy to give your life to Jesus. In fact, it's probably the most difficult decision you will ever make. But it is really simple. In fact, I'd say it's as simple as A, B, C. That A, we admit it. We we admit that we actually need saving. That that we actually need Jesus. That we can't do this on the own. We're not bad people who need to do better. We are sinners who need a Savior. That in the moment we turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, I don't got this. I don't have what it takes. I need you. I admit it. And then B, we believe. And I know that that word in English, we sort of get it sort of confused that we think it means like, believe that. Like, I believe that I'm in Kenmore. Like, it's just a fact I know. But, but the word believe, it's just to put your trust in. So that I could say I'm believing in this stage right now because I'm jumping on it. I'm pulling the full weight of my life on it. And if the stage falls in, I fall in with it. That if it fails, I fail. That I put all of my trust, all of my life in it. That we do that to Jesus. We say, Jesus, I believe. 
I put the full weight of my life, the full weight of my trust in you. That I believe that, that when you died on the cross, that somehow counted for me. That I don't get it. It doesn't really make sense why you would do that or how it works. But I believe that when you lifted yourself up on nail-pierced hands and feet and said, it is finished, that counted for me. And then finally we confess. That we just call Jesus Lord. That you, you turn to Jesus and say, from this day on, I am yours. You are my king, you are my Lord, you, you are com my commanding officer. Whatever you say, I will do. Where you tell me to go, there I will go. I confess you as my Lord and Savior. I give up on control of my life. That Romans says, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we will be That's what it means to, to give your life to Jesus. And, and so I'm just going to invite everyone to just close your eyes and bow your heads. And again, there's nothing magical in doing that. It just, it takes away any distraction from anyone else. And if you tonight, for, for the very first time, want to, want to do that, want to give control of your life to Jesus, want to trust that what he did on the cross counted for you, can I just get you to raise your hand? And there's nothing magical in raising your hand. It, it doesn't do anything. It's just a physical and outward sign of what is happening internally in your heart. And so if you, for the very first time, might want to put your hand up and say, Jesus, I am yours, would you just do that right now in this moment? Awesome. So we're just going to pray through that prayer, that ABC prayer. And I would just invite everyone just to, just to pray with me, just as a declaration of the fact that we have been saved. Dear Jesus, I admit that I need you. I believe that when you died on the cross, that counted for me. And I confess you as my Lord and Savior. I am yours. Amen. Right. I've got one more little thing I want to do because even if you are here this morning and you've already, you've already trusted what Jesus has done for you, you already call yourself a Christian, then the gospel still demands a response. Again, it's not just the, it's not just the entry-level Christianity. It is all of Christianity. And so if you are here this morning and you've already given control of your life to Jesus, then your response to the gospel is you get to join in with what he is doing. That you get to join the rescue team. That you get to be, if you have been saved, you get to be like your savior and go out and seek and save the lost. That the gospel is not a nightcap. It is not a permission for us to go to sleep. It is permission for us to pick up a helmet and go to war that we may plunder hell and populate heaven. And so what I want to do for the, for the rest of it this morning is I want to pray a prayer of commissioning and anointing that we would go out and declare the gospel to those around us. And so again, if everyone would just close your eyes and bow your head. And if tonight, you just want to, if this morning you just want to receive that, you just want to say, I need a commissioning to go out and seek and save the lost, would you put your hand up so I can pray over you? Awesome, awesome. All right, Lord, Lord I just pray for a blessing over every heart here. Lord, I thank you that you have saved us, that you have redeemed us, that we are brought by your blood. And Lord, I just pray that you would now send us. 
that we would not be sleeping Christians, but that we would be an army mobilized for your great command, your kingdom, Lord. That we would go out and seek and save the lost, that we would go out and make disciples of every nation. So Lord, I pray for a blessing of wisdom, that in the moment it would not be us speaking, but the Spirit of God speaking through us, that you would teach us what to say, that we may declare the gospel to those around us. Lord, that you would give us courage to go out and share our faith with the world that so desperately needs it. Lord, that you would use us in a way that is utterly disproportionate to anything that could come from us. So Lord, bless us. Keep us, make your face shine upon us. In your name we pray. Amen.